I'm amped <clears throat> up. Really? Yeah. Why? I don't know. <laughs> the chapter was it. Is it a combo between the chapter, between listening to From Under the Cork Tree, while prepping from downing a crystal light, and recording a squad cast? <laughs> it's like a combo. I can't wait for the crash. Welcome back to Game of Owns. This is episode 463. Victorian one. Seated with me is the MVP of episode number 462, Hannah. Thank you. But you need to stop saying that because then <laughs> <laughs> because people are going to be like, she wasn't that good. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder where you're going to go with that. Well, uh, we're, we're really glad that you're here with us today because uh, this was a banger. This is a, a good chapter. I love great joy chapters and i loved this chapter i was hoping you'd like it i was afraid to say before we record i was afraid to be like this or, or i was afraid to ask you if you liked it because yeah. i wouldn't know if you would just think that the vibe was maybe just too specific or something and right. a little a little removed from the storyline in a mm-hmm. way that was just like you know how we were talking in the last episode where there's all these details that you don't maybe necessarily need and that you might not appreciate so that didn't happen well i am biased because i just a I just think about Pirates of the Caribbean the whole time. <laughs> B, I just really, I just feel like these Victorian, I feel like the Greyjoy, the Victorian, Euron, Dampere, like all these guys' chapters are so atmospheric. And mm-hmm. I feel like you get so just like swept up in the high seas and they're right. out here plundering and they're out here taking captives and ships ships, and he's out here like every day he's taking ships and every night he's like using the dusky woman and i'm just like it's like every single day (laughs) back and forth all right all right this very intense vibe that i just really really enjoy his me too me too i feel like george really has a good time writing the pirate stuff because it's different it's different and it's so it's a it's a genre that's so specific and it's got to be fun to play and i think i said it before on one of the uh, the last vic chapter at the isle of cedars It it just seems like he he likes this a lot and it's fun for him to do his attempt at it and it must be cool that there's so few chapters that Mm -hmm. he doesn't have to he doesn't have to spread that interest and enjoyment of the subject material or of the of the genre over a lot of different things. He can be he can really dial it in and be specific. So, right. for example, this is the chase, or or an aspect of it is a chase chapter that you would have in a novel like this. And my overarching thought while I was reading this was, I could just read a whole book like this. Yeah, I would, I really and like I would it. like to read a whole book like this. So, if there's anyone listening that can recommend some good high seas jaunts for Hannah and I. Send it over. Yeah, send it our send way because I'd be totally into that. But another thing that, you know, I, I was thinking about as you we were reading this story, this story, this chapter, is that at the same time, what makes this chapter exciting and this, as you're saying, high seas chase, that's absolutely not the primary narrative in this chapter. Right, right. Like, it kind of takes a backseat. And so if you're not – if you step away from a second for a second, it's like, oh, well, they just took – five more ships and it's like they like the count goes up as they're per, as he's thinking about all these hundreds of other different things i thought it was interesting that this kind of took the back seat almost all the killing and the fighting yeah. and that was like the second storyline yeah. to him and his yeah. dealings with makoro and the drowned god and thinking about euron and daenerys and kind of him plotting in his mind he almost doesn't seem to 
he's so hyper-focused and that could be related to many things, whether if you believe like he's undead or whatever, Mm. we can talk about that in a second, but he's just like very hyper-focused in that even as these wild things are going on around him, it's not the most, I was going to say not the most important thing of the chapter, which I don't mean. I mean, it's not like the most, it's not the top narrative going on, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah. I think, I think, I think that George can do that because like I said before, he's got so few of these that he can spend covid <laughs> that he can that he can spend the all the really rich stuff and that's being put in a specific chapter instead of spreading it over a whole book that's this style he can spend all that really good stuff while mm-hmm. we're getting this eagle eye overhead view of the whole plan and so it's really rich that very sort of story like i'm i'm having a hard time finding the words because there's only a, a few things I think that you can do. Maybe like a, a ten things that you can do in like a pirate novel, let's yeah. say, right? Yeah. And instead of stretching it over a book, he's he's able to take like a good handful and and just spend it in one chapter. All the fun cliches. Exactly. There we go. Yeah. But while, like you said, not even paying that much attention to it, which just makes it feel so good. Yeah, it is <laughs> it really, really does. cool. And so he's flying over the scene, and like you said, focusing on his greater goal, Daenerys. And thinking about Makoro and he's thinking about and not quite revealing us his plan of how to use those seven women, for example. That made me gasp out loud. The most brutal sacrifice of the series so I far. Like, what? Right? Had to be. Yeah. I didn't remember that from my old read through. Me neither. Man. It seems it's like something exciting. like that would stick out, but it's I'll, I'll never forget it now. That's for damn sure. But uh, not a disappointing Victorian one after – the other named chapter styles for him to come back to this P- or to come to rather this this POV with him was pretty awesome. It's like full display of his terror, basically. Yeah. And I love how it starts. The sea was black and the moon was silver as the iron fleet swept down on the prey. They sighted her in the narrows between the Isle of Cedars and the rugged hills of the Astapori hinterlands, just as the black priest Makoro had said they would. Giscari, Longwater Pike, shouted down from the crow's nest. Victorian Greyjoy watched her sail grow larger from the forecastle. Soon he can make out her oars rising and falling in the long white wake behind her, shining in the moonlight like a scar across the sea. And so it's like you were saying that his his perspective is the filter mm-hmm. and that sort of poetic view of what he's doing is sort of encapsulated in that description of the wake behind the ship rip, ripping so far ahead of them, leaving a scar in the sea. Mm-hmm. It's just beautiful the way that he loves being this person loves doing what he does, loves commanding this crew. And I feel like this chapter might be his peak. I mean, I'm not sure where it goes of living his best life, of enjoying being a pirate with a cool mission. And it's like we were talking about of the uh, getting ready aspect of having a party rather than actually enjoying it, rather than going and doing the end of it, the, the part we were sharing with your friends where everyone's the anticipation exactly all hyped up for it and uh putting together their outfit and putting on their makeup and everything getting your hair done this is that this is sort of like that for him that's a fun way to put it it's, it feels like that do you think that's why so kind of the question of we've had a couple of victorian chapters already but this is the first named one why is this one victorian one instead of all these other names that he's been under and it, it might be what you're saying because he's in his element here he found himself he's here you know and and for all his faults as a man what he's really good at is what he's doing in this chapter and he doesn't necessarily have he hasn't quite 
come to Daenerys yet, so he hasn't yet failed at that. Right. I mean, well, potentially failed. Right. And he's not really doing any any sort of decision-making or ruling or political intrigue or anything. Mm-hmm. He's just listening to Makoro, mm-hmm. listening to his brain talk about Euron, um, feeling the drowns God's spirit. There's no monkeys in sight. No monkeys in sight. And when we see them, they will shiver. <laughs> <laughs> just pressing forward, gathering information, feeling real good about himself. I put somewhere, let me read this part because there was some part in the chapter I just, my note is that he's just feeling himself. Um, Oh yeah. Here, let me find it in the book. Um, Halfway through. Can I read another paragraph while you look? Yes. The captain of the galley had realized his peril by then. This was the first chase. He changed course for the west. This is the galley that they're chasing. He realized his peril. Think about that. He changed course for the west, making for the Isle of Cedars, perhaps hoping to shelter in some hidden cove or run into his run his pursuers into the jagged rocks along the island's northeast coast. You guys have no chance. His galley was heavy, heavily laden, though, and the ironborn had the wind. Grief and iron victory cut across the quarry's course while swift sparrowhawk and agile finger dancer swept behind her. Even the Giscari captain did not strike his banners. By the time Lamentation came alongside the prey, raking her larboard side and sprint, splintering her oars, both ships were so close to the haunted ruins of Gozai that they could hear the monkeys chattering as the first light washed over the city's broken pyramids. <laughs> it's also they're on the other side of the Isle of Cedars now, mm-hmm. and that's the backdrop to this first chase. Ugh, I had to read that. You go. Should we just keep reading all the different chasing along the way? I've got some other um, things. We, we got <laughs> we got some time before that Papa John's pizza gets here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Should we tell everyone? We we ordered pizza to come at what we assume will be the end of this episode, <laughs> which is an hour away. So um, that's going to work out I really nicely wait. for us. I can't wait. Um, I wanted to read this because I felt like it summed up this chapter pretty well. The galleys he renamed Ghost and Shade. For I meant to... For I mean them to return and haunt these youngish men. He told the dusky woman that night after he had taken his pleasure of her, they were close now and growing closer every day. In parentheses to Daenerys. We will fall upon them like a thunderbolt, he says, as he squeezed the woman's breast. He wondered if this was how his brother Aaron felt felt when the drowned god spoke to him. He could almost hear the god's voice welling up from the depths of the sea. And then a little bit later on, he says, but he would feel... The red god, too. Makoro's fire god. The arm the priest had healed was hideous to look upon, pork crackling from elbow to fingertips. Sometimes when Victarion closed his hand, the skin would split and smoke, yet the arm was stronger than it had ever been. Two gods are with me now, he told the dusky woman. No foe can stand before two gods. Then he rolled on her back and took her once again. Go off, what Victarion. three gods? <laughs> well, no, I was going to say, I think he, like... Three gods is exactly what's happening here because I would also categorize Euron in some way. There's a couple points in this chapter when he's like, as he has always done before, questioning. What what would Euron do? What would Euron do? What's Euron? You know, he's always thinking about Euron. So made a note that I think that you could almost argue that he's got three gods with him just because Euron is such an over overwhelming presence in his decision making. So do you think that Euron could be eventually what he it seems like he wants to be, at least from what we saw in the Forsaken, do you think he really could become a demon like the Drowned God himself? I mean, to Victarion, he's got Victarion under his wraps. Um, if If Euron gets as powerful as he has the potential of getting, and I want to talk about him too in with the dragon binder horn. 
Like, for example, if Victorion gets that blown and he's not able to bind it to himself and it's still bound to Euron, does then that give Euron the power of the dragons on top of what he's already amassing along his way? I think that he could one million percent become this demon uh, terror of a character. And I think at this point in the story, that's kind of what we're barreling towards, whether it happens in those specific reasons or from other ways. And we kind of talked, touched on this in the last episode you were saying about all the things that he's learned and seen because he's traveled the world and all these magical places so much. He has um, a lot of power and is becoming pretty terrifying. Do you think that Makoro was... I want to say telling the truth. Let's say he believes what he was saying about the uh, the way the Pantheon works. Um, just for everyone, in case you haven't read, Makoro basically said that there are two gods and one is the great other. They will not utter their name. I wonder if he knows the name. Maybe Vic could tie him up to the prow of the ship and get the name out of him for us. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's Relor, who is openly named and who Makoro obviously has sworn his life to and tattooed symbols for all over his body. Mm-hmm. Face and everything. Yeah, all of it. So we know who we believe in, at least at this point. Or at least which God is with us here. Right. I mean, who's to say, though, that the great other, if he's just as powerful as Rulor, isn't just here, isn't here also? See, that's what I wonder. I mean, it's, it's weird. What I was going to say is he believes what he said about this but how right is he do you right. think how how really how right do you think he is and if he is right and who these human beings who are just mean i don't mean like angry but just simple and kind of useless organisms on Brutes. top of this planet yeah. compared and i just mean humans in general not mm-hmm. just the people that live in the iron islands but just useless human beings versus the grandeur of what could be something with the power of a of a god spawn or a, a thrall of a god, mm-hmm. like Makoro says, some something as powerful as the drowned god. Do you think that just a demon spawn of some kind of old being or old power within a rock floating through space is worthy enough of the religious following of people like people from the Iron Islands? Or is, he, like- or is he a full-fledged god, like like Vic believes? Is he a, is he a thrall? Makoro? The drowned god. The drowned? Oh. Is the drowned god truly a, a thrall, like a demon spawn, uh, just an offshoot of some, some original power? Mm-hmm. Or is he – does it have its own inherent – I think he has his own – I think to them he has his own inherent – like he – the way I see it is the way I would also just like interpret religion – in a broad sweeping term here for us is that it's kind of like the same entities or deities or the same kind of energies that everybody has different names and relationships to. Right. So, you know, taken from his culture and life, the way he worships what he sees as deity is through something that is very close to him, which is the sea. Yeah. That's kind of how I would read it. But he makes the distinction, um, and I need to find the part, but Mokoro calls calls the drowned god a demon yeah. at one point. And, right. and Victorian's like, hold your horses there, buddy. <laughs> the drowned, or the red god's going to get his due too. Right. Um, which, 
kind of drawing into that, one of the questions I have is like, and I think goes along with your question is who is actually in power here and who's actually making something happen? Because Makoro is guessing things, predicting things, making things happen very accurately. He made his hand as well. Uh We have to remember that. So it seems like what he's channeling right now is kind of the thing that's barreling this forward. So is Victarion's prayers to the drowned God is like a purely cultural thing at this point? That's what I'm wondering. Um, If, if these, let's, let's say that, well, I guess there's a couple options of what could be happening. The hand trick could be that it could be a trick much like Melisandre has her ways of doing her own things. And then supported by the character and the tattoos and the really good guesses, that hand trick, which could be some advanced form of healing that we don't understand yet, could be a way to sort of filter over or to muddle things, put Vaseline on the lens of our belief and actually thinking that Relor is a fully uh, centered and real being that has a real religion that actually delivers real results. Mm-hmm. So that could be – it could just be – basically uh, smoke and mirrors Mm -hmm. that's allowing him to move through life and through situations where you see other people are getting tortured and killed brutally but but being treated well and having clothes customized for him. So that's a really useful way to sort of learn something and add this uh, mystique of a story to it and now you're getting all the special treatment even though it seems like he's had some hard times up to this point. Oh, for sure. But probably compared to other people from where he's from, probably treated a lot better or at least made his way out a lot better. Or what he's talking about is true and a lot of the other stuff still is true. And we really are dealing with a planet that has some sort of supernatural cosmic forces behind it. And if that's really happening, the sort of a typical pantheonic description that Makoro is saying is going on could be a thing. And so I'm thinking about if there are geolocated, which it doesn't seem like that's likely, geolocated powers. Let's say the Drowned God is surviving somewhere off the coast of the Iron Islands or if he needs to be alive or I don't even really know how that, that would work. See, it's very confusing. Um, then he would be a, a demon. Like if, if Relor is the, the God and he has a devil, he's one of his devils. And so one of his devils are the, the, he's basically saying all the other faiths are other weaker versions of this bigger power, but probably some kind of ancient air quote spirit in a way that, um, like I said, to mean individuals to very yeah. simple life forms would seem worthy of calling a the god because you're not smart enough to know about the rest of everything that's going on. Yeah, I I I read Makoro saying that as just like a knock on the drowned god, though, and not necessarily like a reality of knowing anything about that specific deity. Like, I think people do that all the time in religion. It's like, well, my god is the truest god or like more powerful one and Makoro is making things happen and he sees he feels like he's in control and in a lot of ways he is Hmm. and that that's just like a knock on specific I don't I never read it as um that like the Roller was whatever was like the god aside from the great other that is unnamed it's interesting though too because in at least, like in Christianity, there's like lots of names for God and lots of names for. But it's all the same person. It's all the same person, but like some of them are more sacred than others. But Makoro is saying that the drowned god isn't Relor. That's not a new name for Relor. He's saying that he's a thrall. He's like something that Relor made, is what he's saying. Right, right. Well, I'm going right, and then, but right, they're two separate things. Yeah. But I don't. I think that he's saying that Relor made 
the drowned god as like an insult, not because that's like a real thing. He's like, your god is a petty, like, is not can't stand to the real god. So, oh, so you don't think that he's actually saying that he's an aspect? No, that I think Relore might have produced. No, I think that oh, okay. he's. I think that he's like making a dig at his, mm. and that's why Victarion's like, you better watch. Like the, the men on this ship, that's their. That's their guy. So you right. better kind of keep your mouth shut there because you're you guys not, are all stupid. You believe in this dumb thing. That, and I'm, think, I'm this judgmental. It's like, think, hey, watch it. <laughs> I think that that's kind of what's happening there. That's how I read it. And, you know, who's to say how it really is? I Like I was saying before, I tend to believe yeah. that, like, it's just lots of different names for the same thing. I would yeah. say in this world as well, likely. It's, that could be possible, too. There's def- It's definitely ambiguous. But I think that what I'm saying could also be true as far as the way that Makoro thinks that they're simple. Because they could still be believing in something that has power and that is its own thing, but it's not the thing. It's just an mm-hmm. aspect of it. In The Lord of the Rings, there's – in the beginning of the the whole story, like their plane of existence, among the uh, the beginning of creation – I don't want to call these, these things beings and I don't remember everything, so I can't be hyper-specific. But apart from like the great truth of the beginning of things, there began discord. Mm-hmm. And in the discord, let's say a, a being manifests – this being being named Melkor, and he's not even a central element in any of the popular material. This is something that came in the extra. This came in the Silmarillion, which is a book that he wrote totally outside of mm-hmm. it. That basically lays the foundation for where ages past the story is told, and it's like reading Fire and Blood, but Fire and Blood's way more tertiary or uh, terrestrial mm-hmm. and more specific. It's just like history. <laughs> it's history. Yeah. yeah but yeah. this is like deep sort of yeah. religious history, which yeah. is, is, is cool. But the, the big bad from the Lord of the Rings is this dude that I'm talking about. Melkor's Lieutenant. Mm. I'm talking like okay. the big bad. Yeah. He's a God. He has all these amazing abilities and the greatest life forms that are currently alive right now have to all band together to even have a chance to stand against him and they can't they can't stand against him they have to find a a, a weird weakness that is such a difficult little puzzle to unlock to get to to even crack his armor that's how powerful this thing is and so he is a god he is right now in middle earth legions of orcs and goblins and fucked up people follow this person like he is a god because he is a god mm-hmm. right yeah and other life forms that have their own sort of uh never-ending spirit, like their own supernatural elements themselves, they have to band together to fight against them too. Are they gods? Are they aspects of the good guys? Yes. They're like at, they're like their own sort of earthbound aspect, but with their own identity offshoot, you could say, of R'hllor, if you want to put R'hllor in, the, in that of the good guy or the great other, right? Obviously, it's a different story, but that's... Uh, GRM is heavily influenced by Tolkien mm-hmm. and... Not to say that he would quote or try to drive in the same sort of stuff, but to me it has the feeling, whenever Makoro is talking about this, the feeling of Relore or even someone something higher than him being way in the past and not really specifically important right now, but that might inform what's happening. And so the more supernatural stuff that we're coming in contact with in this, in this story, it's either, like I said before, a lot of really good smoke and mirrors and then using these stories to bolster our current significance so we can make it through life a little bit easier or as we get closer and closer to something we can reveal that there is actually stuff going on Mm -hmm. and if there is i feel like the person that we need to have on this podcast right now is Euron to ask him these questions because it seems like and that goes back to my question from before it seems like he's trying to raise himself 
to be to the level of a drowned god. Mm-hmm. Let's say if if that's a if that's a uh, like a tier, he's trying to get to that tier. He's trying to get higher than a tier of someone who works at the Iron Bank. He wants to be untouchable. He wants to be untouchable, but also command the uh, perspective and the influence and the power ultimately to be something that's worth being worshipped. And if those aspects of a greater power do exist and he's able to sort of take everything that would allow him to uh, level himself up to that level – using blood magic, using magical artifacts, collecting all of these different priests from all these different religions for some poetic reason. If the power exists, then I think the poetry does too, as we're seeing. So maybe collecting all these poetic pieces and being so significant with the way that he's doing things, he might actually be able to add all those items together and level himself up to that tier, which is fucking crazy. I think absolutely. Or he could just be like Makoro and be really good at smoke and mirrors and convince everyone that it's real, which is really different. Or is good right at now. smoke and mirrors or is it real? Like, we don't know that for sure. That's what I'm saying. But yeah. when we look at like what Melisandre is doing and the stuff that she seems to be doing is not as powerful and not as perfect, but is pretty is the thing that's actually working, basically. Maybe she's just less good at guessing. Yeah, I don't know. I was wondering about that. It's also kind of interesting because um, we got like Asha and Theon that are kind of under the thumb of of the Red God right now, too. We've got like all these Greyjoys that are oh, kind yeah. of being under the thumb yeah. of this new deity. When yeah. um, And as you're talking about the drowned God's power, it's like they're all kind of being influenced by something else right now when they're so far from home. but And maybe the drowned god is the red god, and they just gave it a different name because of the culture, like you said. Yeah, I don't know. That's how I would read it, but it's also... I, the way you're kind of talking about it, too, sounds a lot more like Greek myth or th- mythology, like all these different levels and layers and different mm-hmm. types of power that comes yeah. with all these different gods Yeah, um, that have different abilities and different rankings, essentially, among themselves. Yeah, um, But... It's interesting because Makoro seems to be the most powerful guy right now wrangling some sort of faith. And if what he's seeing in the fires is true, I mean, there's no reason why Euron shouldn't burst. Well, there's no reason why Victorion shouldn't be as pumped up as he is kind of about who yeah. he is and what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Because he's got seemingly the most powerful thing in his favor right now. The most one of the most powerful things that we know about. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the world's largest counseling service and everything is 100% online. They cover a wide variety of things, depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, grief, all of those types of things are and more are covered under their licensed professionals. Anything you share is confidential. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions from the comfort of your home. You can also chat. Which is really helpful. Right. The ease and the flexibility, but also the pressure being relieved some of using a chat service, especially when you're discussing things that might be difficult for you, I think is really cool. And the accessibility, especially right now when we can't really go to these kinds of places very easily. If you've ever been interested in therapy, if you've ever been interested in talking with somebody, even if you feel like you don't fall under a specific bucket, this is a convenient and affordable way to 
have a conversation with a professional and financial aid is available if that's helpful for you. If you're interested, you can start communicating with someone in under 24 hours. We want you to start living a happier life today. And as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash owns. Join over 1 million people who've taken charge of their mental health. That's betterhelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash O-W-N-S. The black priest bowed his head. There is no need. The Lord of light has shown me your worth, Lord Captain. Every night in my fires, I glimpse the glory that awaits you. So basically the same things that Melisandre is saying to Stannis, except for he's, she's, except for he's actually seeing them and he's actually making stuff happen. Because, right. you know, then it's like the next day they turn the corner and all the ships are back, just mm-hmm. like Makoro said that mm-hmm. they were. And everybody is so terrified of him. Um, I thought the whole, there was just, there was a bunch of time spent on, Makoro's clothes and clothing him and getting him. That ruled. It honestly ruled. Everybody's donating pieces of of what they're wearing Vic so that he can have something tunic. new. Yeah, even Victoria, which I thought was really cool. I want to read it, but I gotta find it. I love the aspect of uh of uh, him being the, the a red priest, but garbed in a sort of traditional Greyjoy look, and it adding. It's like this might make him more palatable, but actually, did you find it? Mm. But adding a, um, there needs to be an easier way to find notes. Maybe like really good highlighting, a good highlighting system. Anyway, yeah, go for so it. So basically, is Victorian hoping that he, that this would help? Like you yeah, were saying, that's what I was endear people say. to him. Mm-hmm. It says he had hoped in vain. Clad in black from head to heel, with a mask of red and orange flames tattooed across his face, the priest appeared more sinister than ever. The crew shunned him when he walked the deck, and men would spit if his shadow chanced to fall upon them. Even the vole who had fished the red priest from the sea had urged Victorian to give him to the drowned god. And do you remember when, like, the, the dusky deck. woman kind of shied yeah, away? She, pulled, she pulled away. Yeah, she hissed at him. That's yeah. right. She pulled away from him when he was first brought brought on board. And I would love to see Makoro from the perspective of somebody who's on that ship or somebody else who's kind of in his presence. Mm-hmm. Because... You know, other people aren't going to be able to see what he's doing the way that we're seeing it through the eyes of Victorion, who's so absolutely smitten Mm -hmm. by him and his power. Um, But if you're not seeing that or seeing what you want to be seeing, which is what Makoro could potentially be showing Victorion, then Mm -hmm. absolutely it's going to be this completely off-putting thing. He's strutting around in all black, even if those are the same colors that everybody else has got on. He's got flames tattooed all over his face. Mm -hmm. He's a different kind of being who's... Uh, harnessed the power of a different kind of god that has nothing to do with your faith and your family and your home and your identity and he has his thumb on your captain yeah and he gave him a new arm yeah just loping across the deck it's pretty wild and i know there's a lot of questions just kind of about and i think we talked about this a little bit last time but what makoro is out to do now to get and I know we talked about that on that last episode I do not remember what we said but is Makoro truly here as a servant of Roller to give the prince that was whatever not the prince that was promised what, are they, what is the name of the guy Azor Ahai is Victorian is Azor Ahai to him and he's here For to now. like truly give him or is there some other um 
is he trying to game the system in some other way? Is he trying to get to Daenerys? Is he Yeah, that's what he was sent to, to do. He was sent by his church, essentially, by right. the guys in charge, to go find Daenerys. And I'm assuming because so many people in Volantis really feel like she's the actual Zora High. If she only knew how much support she really had, she'd be like, hmm, check those people out. That's going to be cool when and if she does ever go there, by the way. But um, I think that this is a means to an end for him to get to Daenerys. And I think that it's possible that he's lying to Vic a lot about a lot, a lot of these things, but it's also possible that he does see Vic use Dragonbinder and get dragons. And he's like, maybe he does see that Vic gets the dragon, maybe eventually dies or isn't the main dude at least. But at the same time, still pretty impressive. He's not telling him everything. And honestly, I Why hadn't seen Vic him ask him any, yeah. for everything. <laughs> ask better so questions, true. dude. He's like, yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's so I true. I know that it's Valerian glyphs. That's yeah. enough for me. That's so true. Yeah. He should be asking more questions. He should be asking for the conclusion. It's like if you can see so much, where does this end? How, like is this – this guy is too smart and the rest of the people on the crew see it. They see that. And that's the thing about Victarion is we're talking about him and his element right now because what he's good at, like we were saying, that's is all he cares about. <laughs> plundering and fighting and then the dusky woman's cut out tongue kind of thing. He like, loves the dusky woman, man. There's that line when he was like he's not going to – have any of those seven virgins because he was like who needs any who needs candles when i've got the sun coming and the dusky woman is enough for me i I think he was talking about danny in that case though no he was he but he was like talking about how the he was talking about how the dusky woman is good enough and yeah i cut you off yeah is is can satisfy all of his needs more than these seven beautiful youngins. She sounds awesome and yeah (laughs) (laughs) that'll hold him over until he reaches daenerys's but you know, Victorian isn't the smartest guy in the pack. And so it's hard, as you talk about like unreliable narrators, it's kind of hard to piece out exactly what is or isn't actually happening. But um, it's a shame, you know, it's a shame because he's so fun to read. Well, and he doesn't so even fun. really have a plan. So that was one of my questions kind of at the end of this. Yeah, that's so Reading true. this chapter is I was like, so does he truly believe? And the way he talks about it is that he's just going to roll up to where Danny is. That he knows she's not there. He was like, uh, the Dothraki Sea, let me sail yeah, to it. <laughs> let me read that. You, you keep talking. I'm going to find that quote. He's he, His plan seems to be that he just shows up and is like, I'm here. Congratulations to you, Daenerys. You get me now. He doesn't really have any. And this is something that he could probably piece together or work on if Makoro, if he asked him a lot of questions. But what's the plan when he arrives there and he lands and he wants to get to the queen? Like, he's not just going to be able to walk on in. Where's this Dothraki Sea? <laughs> Where is this Dothraki Sea? He, command, he demanded. I will sell the Iron Fleet across it and find the queen wherever she may be. The fisherman laughed aloud. That would be a sight worth seeing. The Dothraki Sea is made of grass, <laughs> fool. <laughs> that was really funny. I liked that. I think that he plans on uh, maybe using Dragonbinder or just in general... Just feeling himself right now and hoping that Makoro continues to give him bits along the way and not get, not to get too caught up in the minutiae. He's just going to get – he's he going to barrel through. He's like, I'm going to live in the moment. These guys telling me what's going to happen tomorrow. So today I'll ask him about tomorrow and then tomorrow will be taken care of. And I have a whole day. He's like, a day is fine. Yeah. I have 61 ships by the end of this chapter for God's sakes. We will be fine. This I, My hand has never been stronger. 
can you imagine being his aide or his like second in command or any of the other like leadership positions that I know are on these ships? And they're like, come on, we need a plan. I'd be Listen. I'd be like, yes, your arm is smoking. <laughs> yeah. What? You're like an actual villain. Or, and he's or, riling up his peeps. Like dude. they love him. Um, that speech yeah. that he gave before yeah. he sacrificed all of them. But that speech, I love that George made, he could have made this note at any point in the chapter. But the note that he made that divided the two halves of the speech is something that I was going to say in regards to you were asking what his plan was. This is like further evidence that he doesn't have one. George, in right in the middle of the speech, he's like, he decided not to tell them about the potential volunteer fleet that's yeah. right up their ass. Yeah. That he knows is chasing them. And so what is his plan? He took I mean, care not to mention the green galleys of old Volantis that surely must be sailing up through the Gulf of Greece even as he spoke. Exactly. Exactly. And it's, you know, I get that spirit and also wondering about what lo- sort of long-term infection might might come from his weird hand. We are the ironborn and two gods look over us. We will seize their ships, smash their hopes and turn their beta blood. A great cry went up at his words. The captain answered with a nod, grim face. Then he called for the seven girls he had claimed to be brought on deck. He kissed each of their cheeks, told them what honor awaited them, though none of them understood their words. Then he had them put aboard the fish, fishing catch that they had captured, cut her loose, and set her on fire. With a gift of innocence and beauty, we honor both gods, he proclaimed, as the warships of the Iron Fleet rode pa- past the burning catch. Let the girls be reborn in light, undefiled by mortal lust, or let them descend to the drowned gods' watering halls to feast and dance and laugh until the seas dry up. Near the end, before the smoking catch was swallowed by the sea, the cries of the seven sweetlings changed to joyous song, it seemed, to Victorian Greyjoy. Dot, 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 on the wings of song, I fly to you, Daenerys, the Iron Captain thought. And then he turned, then he takes out the dragon horn immediately after that. Awesome. It was, so, it's just so good. Awesome. It has me hyped. Awesome. Yeah. And What's, the time spent appreciating their beauty, too, to lead mm-hmm. to that. Yeah. What a, what a selection. Seven's a powerful number. Each and each one is is different. Yeah, exactly. Something different for everyone, and they're the most beautiful girls that they that they have. Right. What an offering to Valor. All seven, like he did. Yeah. Yeah, If I was the captain, just like he did, I would have stopped at seven. Though, why stop at seven? Because he he it's the most powerful magical number. I get that. He he gave the rest to his men. He's got to keep his guys happy. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Okay, gotta remember. What do you think about this whole dragon binder situation? We talk about the first time, the only time that he hears it blown, and then we get this revelation that Makoro tells him at the very end of the chapter that he must claim the horn with blood. What do you think that means? I'm confused by it. I think that Makoro should blow it. I think he should sacrifice his the, what he needs which is the, this gift of foresight and, you know, someone who's always complimenting you is giving him this this power. I think he should turn his blade upon this dude. All right, you you badass. Blow this horn. I think there's. I think that's the power that he needs to, to get the dragon. Like a real sacrifice. A real Something one. that's actually yeah. not these seven people that he sends out into the... Exactly. Yeah, interesting. And he's got all those tattoos and he's so caught up into this Lord of Light. 
and if the Lord of Light's really connected to dragons, like they seem to think in Volantis, then mm-hmm. he's the perfect candidate for mm-hmm. it, I think. Oh, I didn't think about that at all. That's kind of interesting. That's what I thought when I read it. But, but I do like the idea that it is has to be something that's actually worth sacrificing. And I can see Victarion yeah. trying to skirt around that. For and sure. giving something that was not absolutely not his. And so the horn isn't going to be bound to him. Right. Exactly. I mean, you can see him really struggling with the idea of potentially wasting or even risking to waste Makoro mm-hmm. at his side. Of course. He's like, Euron has wizards. Yeah. Why can't I? <laughs> this <laughs> one, this wizard is better than three of his most powerful ones boiled in a pot together. Yeah. <laughs> I love his inner monologue it's about Euron because it's like any brother or sibling thinking about and trying to upvote or not upvote, be better than um upend or whatever than than their person it's like such a funny way that we melted together and it's mm-hmm. better it's such oh, a funny way to say that yeah it's, it kind of reveals how simple he thinks about stuff but also within it is the reflex of actual intellect like he he's a he's a smart person i think that he is gifted with this overall overarching vision like we were talking about and maybe he doesn't have a plan but within it he's doing a pretty good job he's smart and powerful in his own way in his own way it's just yeah, yeah. maybe he could thought of a better analogy for combining priests sure or maybe he could like them. know what the dothraki sea is as somebody who well he's from far away you know <laughs> i guess he could have put two and two together knowing how they how they move around you would think he still... would know the name of every major body of water yeah, that's a that's a really good point. Yeah, but or or be a little bit less impressed with the telescope. That was so cool. Yeah, I actually it was. really liked that because it's one yeah. that we were talking the other day on the other podcast about how a song of ice and fire is is this normal political whatever rooted in this fantastical magical world, and that is such an amazing example of it because we have what like binoculars or a telescope whatever it was that they found which is such a normal thing for us that we all have access to mm-hmm. and it's like this beautiful treasure that victorian wants to keep for himself because it well-made makes thing. far away things look up close they call it his eye yeah it's like magic basically yeah. which i thought was such a cool i loved that little tidbit because it kind of i don't know it sounds really cool yeah what does it do it it makes us feel like the, it makes us feel the time really easily because it's less, I guess, forward and easy to find technology. There, mm-hmm. you have to be a specialized craftsman to be able to put something like that together. It also gives us a little bit more perspective on just how simple of an existence it might be to be an iron captain, even from a place like that. You might not just have access to a lot of stuff, right? Even there, right? Even even in one of the the big places over in Westeros. It makes me wonder about the mechanics of the things that we don't understand that aren't tied to something that would be comparable in our world and how um, that would look like to somebody like the drowned god. It's like the mechanics of it are so easy because I know about all this kind of stuff in my world and in my life and I've seen everything. Bingo. But for me, it's – but for somebody else, it's this beautiful treasure that they're trying to unlock the mysteries of. I think that that's a really uh, important sort of dynamic that is being explored as a whole in this story. And that's one of the reasons why in our last episode I was so – I was so interested in in knowing – like I want to interview Euron on this show right now about his perspective on stuff because that sort of understanding, Mm -hmm. our sort of easy understanding of what a telescope or – any kind of looking glasses and it being a, a thing that's easily found, e- easily affordable, it puts us in a whole different class of understanding their potential struggles so much better, I think. And with it comes a lack of appreciation probably 
and thus probably a lack of care and thus probably a lack of a desire to master said thing mm-hmm. like or to be able to make it all of that stuff but inside of westeros and not here euron has that for a lot of different things that yes. just people just don't know about because he just has such a drawn out perspective like he's playing, yeah he's playing at a higher level yeah exactly what a lot of them are which is going to be interesting so what i was thinking about when i was reading about um how he needs to claim the horn with blood i kind of saw it as like an elder wand type of situation almost okay. where it's like he either needs to kill his last owner mm. and get rid of him his okay you're on likely and what that would do um like because that's a real sacrifice like kin slaying is something that i think would um, send your send Victorion over the edge. I don't think he'd even be able to do it, even if he tried. But um, if he's not able to do that, then he blows this horn. Whoever blows this horn, and the dragons are then bound to Euron, and then that's what maybe Euron's hope is all along: is that Victorion. He's not looking for Victorion to marry the dragon queen and take her, and then be under his thumb because Euron's so deeply in his head. He's looking for Victorion to go on this fool's errand, knowing that he's not going to be able to bind the horn to himself and then blow it, and then the dragons are Euron's. Or the that power is Euron's. So do you think that Euron knows how to use the horn then? I don't—I don't—I don't know if he necessarily understands to the full extent. I would assume that he has an inkling, an idea that—because I, I don't think he would have just dropped it in somebody else's lap. If he didn't have some understanding of what, or have another horn, <laughs> or have another horn, yeah, exactly. Or if this doesn't, if this isn't the right one, you know. But interesting, McCorrell could have been lying about the translation, but all the the properties of how it behaved and the fact that Vic got to see it and he's not just hearing an account right, of it, right. seemed like it's heat related, which seems like in some you know aesthetical way is connected actually with dragons. I like how he described this. He's like the sound it made burned exactly. somehow. Yeah, no, really rich. I like that, George. You did it there. You I've never heard anything that. described as like sounding like it burned. Exactly. And it's it's way more texture than even where you go with the with the food stuff. So if you're listening, <laughs> high five, man. That was weird. I just I <laughs> I could feel the 3D the 3D implication of what this horn might be and I can sort of trust my own instinct on just the aesthetical choices alone that you put with it that it might actually be the dragon horn and it's the kind of thing that makes a really good outfit look good you're mm-hmm. doing that with the, the metaphors around it and uh, it's cool but anyway I think that it's possible that he could be lying about a lot of the stuff that he translated for him but I think that it's clear that they saw they all saw it light up and glow and I just don't know what kind of, without a power source, without magic, essentially. I mean, that's so weird to think about because we need to avoid it at all costs, I think, for the sake of actually discovering how things work. Because it usually is just smoke and mirrors. But I, without a power source, like, I don't know if it's got some kind of a stone in it that reacts to the particles in someone's breath and, and illuminates. I'm not sure. But, you know what I mean? Like some kind of bioluminescence yeah. that's triggered by bar- yeah. by particulates. Or, maybe it's just magic. Or maybe it's just magic. But either way, it lights up. It made someone burn on the inside. And uh, it's huge and loud. And it's got weird writing on it from a very long time ago. Mm-hmm. So maybe it really is magical. I'm going to read read it. it. Yeah, you, you seem like you really wanted to read that quote. I know. It's <laughs> also... <laughs> 
the way we're recording is I have to lift my laptop up to read something. And so it's like, you know, when I'm ready to go. <laughs> it's like a, a hymnal. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, McCoral asked if, if he's ever heard it. And he says once a monster of a man he had been the guy who had blown it. One of his brother's mongrels. The sound it made dot 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 it burned somehow. As if my bones were on fire, searing my flesh from within. Those writings glowed red hot, then white hot, and painful to look upon. It seemed as if the sound would never end. It was like some long scream. Yeah. A thousand screams all melted into one. And the man who blew the horn, what of him? What of him? He died. There were blisters on his lips after. His bird was bleeding too. The captain thumped his chest. The hawk just here, every feather dripping blood. I heard the man was all burned up inside, but that just that just might have been some tale. A true tale, Makoro turned the hell horn, examining the queer letters that crawled across a second that crawled across a second of the golden bands. Here it says, No mortal shall sound me and live. That's the thing. It's like you were saying. Victorion's seen this happen. Yeah. And so it's not just talk. Is it this exact horn, you know, whatever, is there like some sort of switcheroo happening or whatever? Or is this just like a terrifying, um, it's probably the same horn glimmer. What is something, um, it's like when you go to a magic show and you slide of hand. Yeah. It's like a slide of hand thing. Smoke and mirrors. Yeah. 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 I mean, maybe, you know, if, if this is just like something that's supposed to look a lot more impressive than it actually is. That's but, why I'm, I'm yeah. some, it could be some kind of a jewel in there or something that reacts yeah. or mm-hmm. something. I don't know. Something that puts off its own energy after being interacted with isn't magical. It's just a trick of the natural world if we can find out how to make it happen. But this guy burned from the inside and there was blisters on his lips. So is this going to bind dragons? Hard to say. But I love this idea of like Victarion barreling his way into Marine Mm -hmm. as the siege is just like everything's going poorly. And he kind of saves the day just because he's just like comes crashing and smashing in with all of his power. And then he blows this horn and... Nothing happens, and it's like, what? <laughs> Wait a second. And maybe nothing happens because Euron is now the guy, or maybe nothing happens because nothing happens with this thing. Yeah. But I think that that's kind of a cool, like everything's going well for him, and he's he's doing it. And yeah. then this last piece that he is going to have to make the sacrifice for, whether it's Makoro, like you were saying, which I think is interesting, or somebody else, it doesn't work. And then he's kind of like, now what? Damn. Yeah, that's. It sounds like something that might happen. It's kind of exciting. I don't know if Euron could get the dragon from across the world trained to him because of a, a person he put in command of the horn. Let's say Vic blows it himself and dies. Mm-hmm. Then now that's his dragon. And he gets to claim it. I mean, it'd be crazy if he understood the how that the magic air quotes magic of the horn worked that well that he just confidently gave it to him and knew right. knew that it would happen. But or it's, it's possible. like one of those Harry Potter things again where. You think that it's bound to you and then it's used some way or something else that like maybe Euron doesn't like you're we're in this like final battle and Euron's there and he doesn't realize that he has yeah. this He power. overlooked the, the wand lore. He and didn't really some, understand it. He was yeah. too focused on power and not the actual way that loyalties would actually lie. But it ends up working in his favor in the middle of something because it's like I have this thing. Right. No. So do you think he's doing that? He could do he could complete that on purpose, or it would accidentally happen to him. I like the idea of it being completed on purpose because I think it adds to this thing you were talking about earlier about him being this like playing at a higher level and, yeah. and kind of knowing more things, and that 
putting him in a very godlike position. Yeah, that would surely be awesome. I think that's a little more interesting, but I could see it potentially going both ways. It would be uh, a dash of realism if if it was the the latter, I think, which he'd still be very formidable and scary and even more advanced than everyone else. But I think it, it I don't know, like the closer it gets to this kind of stuff, I think we might be losing some people because we're losing some of the, I don't mean like people in the story, but people that like the book. Because I think that a lot of the sort of magic from high fantasy novels is boring for some people. Yeah, maybe. Because it just seems like rule breaking Mm -hmm. in a way. And we're getting awfully close to some rule breaking. It seems like there's some weird shit going on with this horn and stuff. And so it better really work and it better really make sense. Or it better not work. Exactly. But I think, sure, we're getting close to rule breaking. But George R. R. Martin has placed so many of these elements and introduced them in such a small and incremental and interesting way that hopefully it'll feel natural like hopefully it'll feel like it's seamless into with what's happening instead of a cop-out of like okay you expelliarmus you use expelliarmus to basically kill lord voldemort like are you serious like any you don't like that no oh well not in this situation especially it's like you know so I don't want like some sort of cop out thing. We're building up too much. You think that was a cop out, huh? I don't think it was a cop out, but it's just kind of like, um, I love it. <laughs> it's like okay, like we get it that you're you like you paid attention in class one day long enough. <laughs> that's that's a good take. That's one way to look at it. <laughs> to get this one spell. It's it's him going fuck you. You want me to fight like this? I want to fight like the way I want to fight. Yeah, that's fair. I think. I think it's probably because that's really all he had because he didn't ask a lot of questions that's and he didn't the <laughs> try real way any to look harder. At it, I think that's probably. <laughs> I'm the chosen one. Expel your armies. Right. Yeah. Or like, I, I hope you kill me so I don't have to deal with all this and talk to all these people afterwards. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Just let free me from this. I think that George is Victorian in this chapter. And that so. getting to Marine and finding out what to do with the Dragon Binder is making sense of all this magic. <laughs> it's like him getting to Marine, period, and barreling his way through. Exactly. He's like, he's like okay, he's I got five books. It. It's yeah. time for number six. Get yeah. me out of this. <laughs> Get me out of the mirror and he's not. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's funny. It's going to, I don't know. As we've been saying for millions of years, everything's converging on what's happening there. And, and maybe Victoria will be lucky enough to turn Daenerys' head. Maybe he won't be. We got a lot of people looking to turn her head, and she's not even there. God, I don't know, but totally worth it. She rules. She does rule. Especially when you read other chapters, and you read her, and she's such a nice person. (laughs) This is like, come on now. You can't be that awesome. I want to read other stuff. I have other quotes. My brother Balin was a great man, he said, but I shall do what he could not. The Iron Island shall be free again, and the old way will return. Even Dagon could not do that. And I'm looking for my own because I'm looking at like other things you need to read, and I found one that is really funny. What you got? Are we doing owns or do you want to read no more way. stuff? Yeah, no. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm not going to say it. I'm going to save it. I'm trying to find the part where he was talking about being a a, a slave freer, and I was I love oh yeah love that he's because like, he's like oh she likes to free people. He is the perfect match for her. Give her a kiss for me and whatever hell you find her. Victorian said. <laughs> And they were they were telling her that she's dead. Yeah. Oh, she's dead. He called for his axe and took off their heads there and then. <laughs> Afterward, he put their crews to the death as well, saving only the slaves chained to the oars. He broke their chains himself. 
and told them they were now free men and would have the privilege of rowing for the Iron Fleet, an honor that every boy in the Iron Islands dreamed of growing up. The Dragon Queen frees slaves and so do I, he proclaimed. (laughs) (laughs) I I can see Daenerys... Like, I don't know if he's doing it the way that she (laughs) would necessarily want him to. But that's why I love it even more. It's like he has he's like trying to match her energy. Yeah. She's like, what? I love the conflicting tales that people give them about what's happening Mm -hmm. and just adding to the same sort of world building that George does to create the realism, the story of uh, the telephone game. Yeah. What they call what they call. uh his door. Oh his deck. my gosh. That made me laugh out loud. Know, and it's just carrying it over from that where same it was happening joke, inside. Yeah. It's just perfect. And I think that I was kind of Harzu, reading. I was reading deck. through that, you know, I think there's some theories out there that I was reading that people that Makoro was saying that because he doesn't know what he's talking about and he's trying to like that's a piece that allows him to that's a piece of the puzzle of him being manipulating Victorion, and that's not what really somebody was saying. Mm. And blah, blah 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 blah. There's theories about that out there that I don't necessarily buy into. I much prefer this idea that George R. R. Martin is just adding to this joke that he's been saying all yeah, along. No. And everybody's named the same thing, and nobody can pronounce his dar's name. Yeah, that's what it seemed to me for sure. Me too, and I think that's really funny. Because who is his dar anyway? He just came up. Exactly. His deck. You know, he runs the place now. Yeah. She died. A lot of people that are there just outside the city gates think that she's dead. Yes. Yeah. So it's cool. But I like that the tough ass people, the fishermen that gave them a real struggle, they had yeah. to pull two ships yeah. up to that little little ship yeah. are like, oh no, here's the real story. Yeah. They we know what's fuck, going on. Man. Yeah. I like them. Here's the vibe. I think you already read this, but I'm going to read it anyway. He hoped in vain, clad in black from head to heel with a mask of red and orange flames tattooed across his face. The priest appeared more sinister than ever. The crew shunned him when he walked the deck and would spit if his shadow chanced to fall upon them. Come on. Some real Dan Carlin vibes. The Red God's Wrath. <laughs> He's like, I renamed that sh- this ship for you. The Red God's Wrath. Macaro's like, What okay. do you think? He's like, as my captain says so. The Iron Captain had no time to wait for laggards when he leaves the three missing ships behind. Not with his bride encircled by her enemies. The most beautiful woman in the world has urgent need of my axe. That's what I wanted to make my own. <laughs> because I think it's so funny. He's so pumped up and amped on himself. The most beautiful really one in the world is in need of, an urgent need of my axe. So stupid. It's so good. <laughs> so like Daenerys doesn't even know he's coming, nor is she all. gonna care at all. Not even a little bit. And he's bit. gonna show up. He's like the most beautiful woman in the world needs me. Yeah, exactly. And she's gonna be like, what? I like the geography. I like feeling the coastline. Even though we were just off the side, I really felt where we were going in Essos. And it made me appreciate another bit of his subvertive lack of leadership where Mm -hmm. he's making up for it and all of this uh, swagger and confidence. He's really like, all right, we're getting close to young Kai. Let's go out wide. (laughs) 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 We don't want to fight these warships. Come on. (laughs) Take the the way around the Marines. Sounds fun. It does sound fun, damn it. I know that Victorion's kind of a bad guy. And I know that they kill a lot of people. And I know that, like, the vibe's bad and... You know, whatever, but it sounds fun, too. Yeah, it does. It does. I always kind of wanted to be a pirate. What about it do you think is the most attractive I don't know. It's just, like, very intense. It's very intense. Yeah. And everyone is on high alert 24-7, 365, and nobody showers. Everyone's the same (laughs) clothes for, like, 9,000 months at a time. And it's just very intense. It's like never-ending Christmas break. Yeah, it is, (laughs) truly. (laughs) 
what's the uh, the line? I I don't know if I'm gonna be able to find it. Uh, where he's uh, here we go. Oh, describing the horn, and we can go to Owens after this. A twisted thing it was, six feet long from end to end, gleaming black and banded with red and gold and dark Valerian steel. Euron's hell horn. Victorian ran his hand along it. He's a very sweet person. The horn was as worn and smooth as the dusky woman's thighs, and so shiny that he could see a twisted likeness of his own features in its depths. Strange, sorcerous writings had been cut into the bands that girded it. Valyrian glyphs, Makoro called them. And he's like, yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Smooth as the dusky woman's thighs. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Do you think he... Go on, sorry. I just love that he, like, puts on for the dusky woman. That's what I was going to ask about. Do you think that he puts on for her because of the relationship that they've made over time or in her anticipation of his needs? Or do you think it's because she's a gift from Euron and he's so ate up with his brother he doesn't even realize that's why? Oh, that's a good question. That's a good distinction. I think that the dusky woman just gives him all the things that he wants. And he, she doesn't, I mean, she doesn't, like, <laughs> reading into a guy like Victorion, she doesn't say anything. She doesn't do anything. <laughs> she just listens to what he's got to say, and she's just there, like, ready and willing to do exactly what he needs. And all he has to do after is just tell her all the stuff that's on his mind. <laughs> you know? And I feel like that really gets him going. <laughs> you don't have to say anything <laughs> I'm trying to think of one character in this story That wouldn't appreciate that yeah. One Right So I mean that's what Dario basically is to Danny Sort of But Dario like Talks Danny looks for Dario's Danny values what Dario has to say Yeah but I feel like the dusky woman is saying all that Without having to say it Dario's just kind of like the more annoying dusky woman He has to like f- Integrate all of his opinions into her matters but, Right because it's like what she wants as a woman Versus right, exactly. what like Victoria wants exactly. as a man <laughs> Oh shit So Well There you have it Victorian one I gotta say the The hand and the unvictarian possibilities might turn out to be something that's pretty cool to check out. Maybe. Maybe he'll blow the horn and live through it because he's sort of undead. Can you imagine what that would be like? Can you imagine his ego if he lived <laughs> through that? <laughs> you know? Fuck yeah. It's too much. That's awesome. Could you imagine if it came down to a moment where maybe the battle's not going quite their way mm-hmm. and Barry can see it and Tyrion can see it happen? It's like everyone can kind of see it happen. He sort of desperately knocks all the the corpses away that have been trying to blow the horn. And he's like, fine, I'll blow up myself, you coward, you useless scum. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that would be amazing. The dragon goes right for him and like fucking bows and picks him up. That would be pretty amazing. Jesus. The red god will have his due, but the seas are ruled by the drowned god. You already read my own, but I want to read it anyway. Should I read it anyway? Anyway, the Iron Captain had no time to wait for laggards, not with his bride encircled by her enemies. The most beautiful woman in the world is urgent need of my axe. I loved that part. I just feel like it beautifully sums up a lot of the things that we've been talking about. My own is in two parts. Where is this Dothraki sea? He demanded. I will sail the Iron Fleet across it and find the queen wherever she may be. The fisherman laughed aloud. That would be a sight worth seeing. The Dothraki Sea is made of grass, fool. He should not have said that. (laughs) 
he should not have said that. Victorian took him around the throat with his burned hand and lifted him bodily into the air, slamming him back against the, ma- the mast. He squeezed till the youngishman's face turned as black as the fingers digging into his flesh. The man kicked and writhed for a while, trying fruitlessly to pry loose the cra- captain's grip. Crapton. <laughs> trying fruitlessly to pry loose the captain's grip. No man calls Victorian Greyjoy a fool and lives to boast of it. Victorian is so fun. He is fun. It's fun to read. This was such a fun chapter. I hope everybody enjoyed it half as much as we did because that was a fun ride. And if you're just listening and not reading, read it. I know read, we always say read that. these chapters. It's getting really good. If you want to send in your own, you can find us on a couple different social media platforms. You can find us on Instagram, our favorite. You can find us on Twitter on Facebook by searching for Game of Owns, or you can send us an email to contact at gameofowns.com. You can also find us on Patreon if you're interested in a little more extra hashtag content creation that we put out. Um, Zach and I together do a podcast called Squad of Ice and Fire, which is today it was just us setting up our microphones <laughs> and like talking about random stuff. And then Zach also does a reread where he's about six chapters in to the first book. A Game of Thrones, which is really fun. So if you want to kind of take a look back and get perspective from the beginning as we reach the end, you can find that on patreon.com slash goo. Our next chapter, The Ugly Little Girl. So from Slaver's Bay to Bravos. We haven't we been go. with Arya in 7,000 years. It's been 7,000 years. I think so. Yeah, it has been. If you want to check out the reading order, if you want to catch up with us, if you want to read ahead drama you can find that at a feast with dragons.com it's january you know 2021 baby living our lives so like like hannah said if you want some of that bonus content go to patreon uh, there's more episodes of stuff to listen to there and uh we will be back with you very soon and now we're gonna go eat stuffed crust pizza from papa john's oh lordy